I want you to take your Bibles or your apps, whatever you read on. And today we're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 15. Luke 15. Now, if you're not familiar with where Luke is located, uh, what I would ask you to do is if you're in a physical Bible, open up to the table of contents, and there you'll find that the Bible's broken up into two sections the Old and the New Testament. Now, Luke is the third book of the New Testament. So it'll be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So find the New Testament, find Luke, and flip over to Luke 15. Now, if you're in an app, pull up the list of the books of the Bible, and you'll find that Luke is around two-thirds of the way down that list. Uh, So find Luke and turn to chapter 15. Have you ever watched one of those videos or maybe you've experienced it yourself where uh, someone has been gone for a long time, maybe they've been serving in the military and they've been uh, away and they're coming home and uh, they, they walk through the terminal and, and come to the place where their family and friends are waiting and, and everybody just explodes with excitement and they, they get all, all worked up and they cry and they laugh and they hug and embrace Have you ever seen one of those videos or maybe you've experienced uh, being away from someone for a long period of time and the excitement and the rejoicing that takes place when you get reunited with that person? Um, Today, in the passage that we're reading in Luke 15, Jesus addresses that from the perspective of God, our Father, looking down to us and looking for us to come to him in the same way. And so what I want to do today is turn to Luke 15. We are going to look at the entire chapter, but I want to start with verse 1 and just read verses 1 and 2. So Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, near to Jesus. Verse 2, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So so let me kind of give you some background on what is taking place here. Jesus has been doing ministry work all over the place. He's been teaching. And honestly, the people who are coming to him, the people who are listening and wanting to, to engage and connect with him, are those that aren't necessarily strong followers of God. And these religious leaders, what the Bible calls the Pharisees and the scribes, they start grumbling about Jesus attracting these sinners, these people that don't really follow God all of that, all that closely. And so they start grumbling. Oh, he's, he's eating and he's fellowshipping and hanging out with sinners. Oh my goodness. And Jesus understands what they're grumbling about. Maybe he even heard them. And he gives us three parables in this chapter. Now, a parable is a story that Jesus would tell. And that story had, you know, kind of a surface level meaning. It was a story, but there was a deeper spiritual meaning underneath that that surface level story. And so Jesus tells three of these parables. The first one, he he says this, uh, if a man had a hundred sheep and he lost one of them, he would go and he would go find that one sheep. And then when he found it, he would throw it on his back and he'd bring it home and he would celebrate with his friends because he found the lost sheep. And then he tells a second parable. If a woman had 10 coins 
and she lost one of those coins, she would turn her house upside down. She'd sweep and she'd light a lamp and look around everywhere for this coin. And if she found it, when she found it, she would gather her friends and say, let's celebrate. I found my lost coin. Come to my house. Let's eat. Let's, let's celebrate this, this momentous occasion. And then he tells a third parable. And this is the parable that I want to focus on. It's one that if you grew up in church or you've been in church for uh, a, a certain amount of time, you've probably heard or are familiar with this parable. It's the parable of the prodigal son. And so I, I want you to pick up with me in verse 11 of chapter 15. So chapter 15 of Luke, verse 11, he begins the parable of the prodigal son this way. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered all his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father but when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. <laughs> but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let's eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, this is a beautiful parable, an account of this son doing something that it would have been unimaginable in that day and time and then coming home. But let's kind of break this down a little bit and see what this means. So the son goes to the father. This is not the oldest son. This is the youngest of the two sons. Now, back in Jesus's day and time, the older son would have received a larger portion of the inheritance. Generally, the older son would receive around two thirds and the younger son would receive around one third of the given inheritance. So the younger son comes to his father and says, dad, give me my portion of your inheritance. Now, in Jesus' day and time, this was completely unheard of. And in that society, it was pretty well understood that if a son came to a father who was still alive and said, give me my portion of the inheritance, it was just as if that son was saying to the father, you're dead to me. So 
it was much more than the son asking for money. It was an insult, a deep, a relational insult from the son to the father. And, and so this son comes to him, asks this uh, crazy request, and, and amazingly enough, the father says, okay, here is your portion of the inheritance. And so the son takes his money, he gathers all of his things and he goes to a faraway country so that he can go live the life he wants to live. And so he goes, he goes off and he, he squanders all the money that he has. He, he spends all of it on things that really were not acceptable in his society. And he spends all the money. And then the Bible says that a famine came uh, to the land. So, so things have gotten pretty sparse and things are, life is difficult in this place. He has spent all his money. He has no options. And so he goes and luckily he finds a job, but he finds a job tending pigs. Now, again, go back to the society that Jesus was speaking to. He is speaking to Jewish people and Jewish people believed then and still believe today that pigs are unclean animals. So to work with and tend pigs was literally one of the most humiliating things that a Jewish boy could go and do. And so he has been brought very, very low. He's been humbled. And one day he wakes up and he realizes that he needs to be rescued from this. It says that he came to, him, uh, came to himself, but when he, verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here of hunger. He, he came to himself and went, you know what? I can be rescued from this situation. I don't have to live this way. My father's servants have more than enough food. I could go to my dad and get a job with him. And even if I'm not a son, I could at least be a servant that gets food. So he packs up what else he has left, probably nothing, throws the clothes on his back, and he begins to walk back home. And it says that the father saw him coming from afar. Now imagine, I've always thought of this as the father is sitting in front of the house and he is looking towards the direction of the far off country that that son left to go to. And he stands there and he waits for that son to return. Now, if we go back to what is being symbolized in this parable, the father is of course, God our father. And the son is us, we're lost. And the father is always watching. He's always looking to the place that we've strayed off to. He's always looking, hoping that he's going to look and see a figure come over that horizon coming back to him. And it says that the father ran to the son. Now, now there's deeper meaning in this action. You see, in Jewish day and time when Jesus was alive, um, this was a humiliating act in and of itself. You see, uh, a proper adults did not run. It was a, running was a child's thing. 
Um, you know, you ru- see people running today for fitness and things like that. That was totally unheard of in Jesus's day and time in the land of Israel. No one in their right mind as an adult would go and run. Uh, it was humiliating. You see, as an adult, they wore these, these long robes uh, that went all the way down to you know, their ankles. And so for a, a grown man like this father to run to the son meant that he would have had to reach down, pull up his robe and start running, which means he would have exposed his legs, uh, which was just something you didn't do in Jewish society in Jesus's day and time. And so he pulls up his legs, his robe, and he runs to the son. And the son asks for forgiveness. You see, he repents. Now, repent is a a Bible word. It's a churchy word. And repent simply means that this son turned away from the ways that he disobeyed or defied or disappointed the father. He turned away from that lifestyle and turned back to being a son of the father. He turned away from all those things. And he, he begins this speech that he's rehearsed. And he asks the father, father, I'm, I can no longer be a son, but your servant. And the father stops him. The son doesn't, isn't even able to finish the speech that he's re- rehearsed. If you look earlier on in this parable, the, the son tells us the whole speech, but he can't finish it. The father doesn't let him finish it here. And the father set, grabs a servant and says, hey, 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 my son's back. Grab a robe, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. We're going to party. Let's get the fattened calf. Invite everybody from town. Let's have a celebration because my son is back. Look at what he says in verse 24. The son has come back. He's telling the servant the instructions and look at the reason why he wants to put a robe on this son, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, kill the fattened calf and have a big party. Here's the reason. Verse 24, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they began to celebrate. You see the father celebrated the fact that his son had come back to him. He was celebrating the fact that as far as the relationship was concerned, the son was dead. The son was lost. But now the son relationally has come back and the son is alive and is found. And that's all that God asks of us. And this brings me to today's big idea. If, if you've watched many of my messages, you know that most of the time I give a big idea. It's a simple statement that kind of sums up the main idea of that message. And today's big idea is this. Jesus rejoices in our rescue and repeated repentance. Let me say that again. Jesus rejoices in our rescue and repeated repentance. There is a common theme in all three of the parables in Luke 15. Uh, It is about something being lost and then found, and then the great joy that comes about after that. So 
pick up your Bibles again. Look with me in Luke 15. I want to look at the way the previous two parables end. The statement that Jesus makes to finish up the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. So look with me in verse 7. So Luke 15, verse 7. He has just given the parable of the lost sheep and he says this, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And look now, scroll down to verse 10. So he's just given the parable of the lost coin. And it says, he says this, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then look at how the father responds to the son's return. Verse 24, for my son was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. That's why today's big idea is Jesus rejoices in our rescue and repeated repentance. You see, there is great joy when someone relationally comes back to God, comes back to Jesus in repentance in turning away from the ways that they had defied and disobeyed and disappointed God. God celebrates. God is so rejoicing when that takes place. And maybe you're watching right now and maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never come to a point in your life where you have followed Jesus. Let me explain. Take these three parables in Luke 15. And what we know for sure out of these parables is first off, you as someone who does not know Jesus, you are infinitely valuable to Jesus. You are so valuable in the eyes of God. The second thing that we see in these parables is that your sin will destroy you. It will make you lost. It will destroy you. It will make you spiritually dead. And there is an eternal consequence to that destruction. But see, Jesus wants to rescue you from that destruction. He doesn't want you to be lost. He wants you to be found by him. He wants you to not be dead in your sins, but to be alive in Jesus. And all Jesus asks of you is that you believe in him, you dedicate and live your life for him, and in turn, you tell others about him. And maybe you've got questions. If you want to know more, if you want to make a decision, or, or if you've got questions about what this means, what I would encourage you to do is text the word changing to 94000. That's the word changing to 94000. We'll have someone reach out to you as soon as possible. And we would love to have a conversation about what a relationship with Jesus means and how you can do that. Maybe you're watching and you already know Jesus. There is a second part to this parable, the parable of the prodigal son. So I want you to pick up with me again in verse 25. So keep in mind the younger brother, there's two brothers. The younger one has taken his inheritance. He's gone to a far off land. He has squandered all of that money. 
and he has cowardly come back. You could, you could say that he, he did the worst thing possible, but the father brings him back and brings him back, not as a servant or as a lesser person, but as a full-fledged son of the father. And the father is now holding this huge celebration for this lost son. And look at what happens. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You see, I think that when we read this parable, I think we all want to envision our lives. We want to envision us as being the younger son. We want to identify with the younger son. But I think most Christians struggle more to not be the older son. I think that's what actually takes place. I think uh, that our self-righteousness make it, makes it difficult to have a right perspective of who we are in the eyes of Jesus. You see, this older brother made his self-righteousness, his, his, his self-worth, it, it made him think that what he did made him worthy in the eyes of the Father. And we've lost sight of the fact that we need to repent repeatedly. Go back to the big idea. Jesus rejoices in our rescue and in our repeated repentance. You see, I want you to look at a few things here about the older brother. Look at how his self-righteousness makes him behave. First off, he refused to go in. So, so if you look down, um, he called one of the servants, verse 26. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother's come and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Listen to this. But he was angry and refused to come in. So his father came out to him and entreated him. You see, the son refused to go in. And by not going in, he was making his tantrum a public thing. It was public gossip now at this point because of him not going in to the father. You see, he didn't just not go in, but he made the father come out to him. You see, the father was the one that was supposed to be held in high honor. The father was the one that was supposed to be 
uh, the one you obeyed, the one that you honored, the one that you, uh, you, know, you know, went out of your way to give to. But this son is making the father come to him. He's, he's putting his foot down in a self-righteous way. His behavior was out in the open for all to see at this point. He's throwing this tantrum. He's not going in. He's making the father who should be inside celebrating. He's making the father come out to him. And so he's making this very public. I can imagine that the people at the party are probably whispering and going, oh my goodness, did you see that the older brother's not coming in and he's making the dad go out there? Oh my goodness. He's making a spectacle of the whole thing. And believe me, listen carefully, Christian. Believe me, if you claim to be a Christian, people are watching you. And if you show them your religious, religiosity and your self-righteousness, you will publicly misrepresent the Father. You absolutely will. Our self-righteousness makes a public mark, mockery of God's grace and mercy. You see, when we make everything about us, when we make it seem that our good works, when we flaunt that kind of stuff, and we make our faith about our religious works and our good deeds and not about the grace and the mercy of God, then we misrepresent what Jesus came to do and what Jesus is currently supposed to be doing in our own lives. People are watching. And will you make a spectacle of your father or will you realize that you need to respond in humility to everything that God asks of you? So that brings me to a question. How can we prevent ourselves from becoming like the older brother? I know that I want, I, if I'm reading this parable, the last person I wanna be in this parable is the older brother. So how do we prevent ourselves from becoming like the older brother? Well, first off, number one, recognize that your salvation and your continued faith is done by Jesus alone, not by your good deeds. There is nothing you can do to be rescued from your sins, to be saved. There's nothing you can do to continue being a good person and following Jesus without Jesus's aid, without his help, without his working in your life. You can't follow Jesus without Jesus helping you do that. Because your salvation is based not on what you do, but what, on G what Jesus does for you. If you think that showing up for Sunday morning services, either online or in person, if you think showing up on Sunday morning makes you a Christian, you are mistaken. If you think being a good person makes you a Christian, you are mistaken. None of us are good. Go read the book of Romans. We are all sinners in need of a savior. We have all fallen short of God's glory. If you make it about you and your righteousness, you're gonna be like the older brother. So recognize that your salvation and your continued faith is only capable, is only possible through Jesus. Second thing, 
Stand up for what Jesus wants for you. For example, the fruit of the Spirit. You see, what I see in the world around us is that too many Christians uh, are known not for what they're for, but they're known for what they're against. Uh, That's not the example of Jesus. Jesus gave us things like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When we live and we stand for those things, We will exude, we will be an example to the world around us of Jesus. We will be able to spread the life-changing hope of Jesus because people will see that in us when we talk about what we stand for instead of what we stand against all the time. So stand up for what Jesus wants for you. Okay, the third way to prevent becoming like the other brother is let your connection to Jesus through things like reading his word and prayer and worship and fasting, etc., all those things, let your connection to Jesus through these things change you. When you read your Bible, when you hear a sermon, when you pray, when you worship, do you allow that time to change you? Maybe a better question would be, when was the last time that through God's word or worship or prayer or whatever, when was the last time that you felt convicted and you allowed the Holy Spirit through that conviction to change something inside of you? If you think you're perfect and you don't need to be convicted of something, you are the older brother. You should be always looking for the ways that God wants to change you to be more like him. So how do we prevent ourselves from becoming the older brother? I've given you three. Recognize that your salvation and continued faith is only done by Jesus. Stand up for what Jesus wants for you and let your connection to Jesus change you. The fourth one is this. Recognize that you are still a sinner, and you still need repeated repentance. If you think that you don't have any serious sins that you need to turn away from, you're the older brother. You see, no one is ever going to achieve perfection in this life. No one is ever going to come to a point where they're so godly that they don't sin anymore. That's not the way sin and our humanity and our brokenness, that's not how those things work. So we need to recognize that we are still sinners and we need to be actively looking for the ways that we need to repent of our sins. And lastly, a way to prevent becoming an old, the old, like the older brother. Lastly, believe, if you believe that outsiders should look more like you before you will accept them into the church family, then you're on the road to becoming like the older brother. Guys, I can't tell you how many times I've had people in the church tell me that they did not like where the church or the youth ministry that I was working with or whatever, where it was going because there were so many unchurched, there were so many sinners, there were so many bad kids or bad people. Please hear me, please hear me on this. The church is not a country club for people like you and I. The church 
is a hospital for the broken and the sick and those who need rescue from their sin. That means that there are gonna be people who come to the church looking for rescue and those people are not going to look like us. They're not going to sound like us. They're not going to dress like us. And that is awesome. We should be accepting anyone and everyone that comes through the doors of church and leading them to that life-changing hope of Jesus. But if you think that someone needs to change before they can be accepted or before you're comfortable with them coming into the church, that's a problem. That's like saying, uh, standing outside a hospital and saying, you've got a broken arm, that broken arm needs to heal a little bit before you can come into this hospital to be finally fixed. See, this church, this building, this church family, the people that make up the church, we should be a place and a people that leads the lost, that leads every generation that does not know Jesus, that leads them to that life-changing hope of Jesus. So let me recap. If you want to prevent becoming like the older brother, recognize that your salvation and your walk with Christ is not possible without you continually being dependent on Jesus. Stand up for what Jesus wants. If you're more known for what you're against than what you're for, then you're like the older brother. Let your connection to Jesus change you. When you read your Bible, ask the Lord to change you through that, to convict you, to mold you and shape you. Let me give you a little one to step on your toes. If you've ever made the statement, well, I'm not getting much out of the sermons, you're probably the older brother. You're probably the one who is not allowing through humility and through uh, submitting, you're not allowing God to do the work that he wants to do inside of you. Fourth, recognize that you're a sinner and you still need repeated repentance. And lastly, accept people where they're at so that you can lead them to the life-changing hope of Jesus. You see, it's time to do a hard self-examination. And I hope you've heard it enough from me. We always should be doing a hard self-examination. That should be a daily process in our lives. But we need to actively be purging the temptations that the older brother felt. The temptations to be judgmental and to think that he knew better than the father knew. Look for the ways that you're the older brother rather than the younger brother and purge that out of your life. And here's the flip to that. Rather than thinking like the, one of the brothers, think more like the father. That's what the Bible encourages us to do is to be more like Jesus day in and day out. And so will you learn from the parable of the prodigal son? Will you listen to the warning that Jesus gives who he gives to these Pharisees. The Pharisees were like the older brother. Will you listen to the warning he gives and allow through the Holy Spirit, allow your life to be changed? Join me in prayer. Almighty God, thank you for today. Thank you for your teachings. And Lord, we pray 
that you would help us today to take these three parables, the parable of the, uh, the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. Help us to take these three parables and help us to understand that we are infinitely valuable to Jesus and that you want to change our lives and help us to look more like you. Help us to do that hard self-examination through the guidance and the insight of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would open our eyes to the ways that we're like the Pharisees, the ways we're like that older brother and help us to have the courage and the humility to change, to allow the Holy Spirit to change us so that we can be more like you. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.